Welcome to the Remote Work Drive podcast with your host, Jessica Malnick. Stay tuned to learn how to manage remote teams that are effective, collaborative, and happy. Hey everyone, my name is Neil. I'm the CEO of a company called Made This Franchise, which is a fully remote cleaning franchise focused on Airbnbs and vacation rentals. I've been working remotely for about seven years now and now franchising the Made This concept across the United States. Awesome. Well, thanks for coming on the Remote Work Tribe podcast, Neil. Um, just to dive right in, I know you are running a really successful business, just got into franchising. Can you maybe talk a little bit about what that process looked like to go from the thought process behind wanting to franchise? Yeah, sure. So I um, I guess backing it up, we have um, a cleaning business located in Los Angeles. This was around 2018, 2019. It was going well, right? It was fully remote, meaning the cleaners go straight from their home to the job site. Office staff was all around the world across eight different countries. So everything was being remote. I was running it from around the world while traveling. Uh, and I was trying to figure out how to expand. And there's a couple options in front of me. One was going uh, the route of, let's say, Starbucks, where everything's corporate owned. So expanding across the US by opening up made this locations by themselves, or the other side would be, let's say, a McDonald's, which is a traditional franchise where you sell the rights to someone else who then manages Made This location. So those are kind of the two bats in front of me uh, in order to expand Made This. And Jessica, I was actually at DCBKK conference that year, 2018, where I know we met, and I talked to a couple of people about it and decided on the franchising route. And the main reason was it felt like a more scalable model, which didn't depend on me or my staff having to manage a ton of cleaners, right? You're allowing business owners to take full ownership over it and they get a big share of the upside just by copying the model. So it just felt like a, a different way of expanding. In my mind, I was like, well, maybe this is an easier way of expanding. In hindsight, it, it was not an easier way of expanding just because it's a heavily regulated industry, but I, I'm enjoying it so far. That's awesome. You're probably one of the first person people who have ever talked to you to take a re- fully remote business and figure out a way to successfully franchise it. Can you maybe talk a little bit about what that process looked like to actually get everything set up so that it was, you know, fully compliant. Yeah, it was a beast of endeavor. I think it took us like at least six to 12 months to do all in. So in the franchising world, let's say you want to go franchise a concept, you have to get what's called an FDD contract or a franchise agreement contract. So you pay a franchise lawyer a lot of money, you know, 20, 25 grand for this contract to make it fit for you. We got a consultant, a consulting company to come tell us, hey, here's how much you guys charge up front. Here's how much you charge for your royalties. Here's how to set up everything. So I had to get a consultant working with the lawyers to actually draft up the contracts. After that, you actually need to go to the states. Uh, each state has their own regulations on whether you need to license in that state or not in order to franchise there. For example, California, New York, um, then there's 13 other states where you have to register there specifically if you want to sell franchises there. So that was another process of figuring out where we want to register. After that, you kind of have to figure out, cool, now I have this business model. This is very different from what I was doing before. How do I even get this in front of people, right? Which is another endeavor entirely. So quite a bit of setup to start with. And then you have kind of the nice packaged franchise with an operations manual and a training process behind it. And then you kind of go out to market from that. So it did take quite a while to set it up. But one thing I will say is it made us really, really systemized. If you're teaching someone else how to run the made this company, you need to be systemized yourself, right? So we created an ops manual and documented everything and uh, put a bunch of training videos into place. So at the very least, it forced our own internal operations to get very, very documented as well, which is good. Yeah, that seems like a really smart and like side effect of just forcing yourself to 
make sure that everything runs even smoother than it was before. Can you maybe talk a little bit about what that process looked like to create an operations manual? Yeah, so we have an online operations manual. It's pretty much A to Z of how to run a mid-list location, everything from sales marketing, sales scripts, how to find cleaners, how to deal with customer complaints. There's videos and everything in that. So it's kind of a knowledge base. We call it the wiki, the company Wikipedia. Uh, just living, breathing document online where we train the franchisees on, they have access to it as well. Um, this is something where I think most companies should have, regardless of if you're franchising or not. It's something that's good just to have an uh, online wiki, which has all the systems and processes in it. How long did it take you guys to create that? And what was your role in that versus, you know, people on your team? Yeah, it was, um, I was mostly involved in it. I outsourced some of it to my team members for parts of it I didn't know. Luckily, we had kind of some of it already built before, but it was kind of messy. So what I did is I gave it to consulting companies to, hey, clean this up. Um, the reality is, as much as you clean it up, it's still never going to be fully right until you put it into practice, right? So we kind of created bare bones version one of, hey, here's the outline. Sales and marketing is module A. Business planning is module B. And we kind of created the outline of what it should be and started just making documentation, which is videos of me talking. Took that, the consultants converted that to text form and wrote it into an operations manual. The reality is um, once you actually go through it and then we start training franchisees on it, we realize, oh, okay, this isn't exactly correct. This is more theory than practicality. So we go ahead and update it. So I'd say with every new franchisee which joins, we end up revamping it because they're reading the whole thing and we're looking at it entirely, um, which helps us keep it more and more updated. But yeah, it just starts with version one, getting videos in there with, with Loom, writing it in text form, and kind of keep iterating from there. I see. Do you think that having this operations manu manual, and even before that, like really helped kind of make the business run a little bit more asynchronously? Uh, 100%. Um, absolutely did, because uh, especially from a management perspective, if someone has a question, you just refer them to an operations manual or a company Wikipedia, as opposed to just answering the question yourself. Right. If there is the knowledge which exists somewhere, which is outside of your head, uh, it's just easier to manage and also makes people, um, makes the job role much easier. Let's say someone leaves the company and they leave with all the knowledge in their head. If you don't have that documented, it'd be very hard to train that next person. So as long as you have the systems documented and updated, uh, it's, it's easier to find new people to fill in roles as you need. Shifting gears a little bit, um, and I do want to kind of circle back to some more things about async comms and how you build a really dynamic culture. Um, asynchronously, but um, can you tell me, tell me a little bit more about what your team structure looks like today? Yeah, sure. Let me talk about the corporate operations as opposed to just franchising. So on the corporate side, we have, um, of course, the cleaners who are local and they're going to the jobs. Um, above them, we have what's called daily operations coordinators, people putting out fires, being on the phone lines, kind of like the support system. Those individuals, uh, I believe there's three of them. Um, they're based in Latin America. So one in Honduras, one uh, that we just onboarded in Nicaragua, and another in Honduras, actually, so two, in, two in Honduras and one in Nicaragua. Um, above them, we have an operations manual, a manager. She's in charge of all the day-to-day, -day, making sure that things actually get done on the ground. Um, she's actually based in Los Angeles, but she works remotely, so it can be from anywhere. Uh, on the other side, we have sales. So that's operations, we have sales. These are people who pick up the phone lines whenever a customer calls. So customer calls and says, hey, I want a cleaning that call routes to my team in South Africa. So it's a, it's a group of Jehovah's Witnesses in the mountains in South Africa, which is kind of funny. Uh, I'm actually here in South Africa right now visiting them. Uh, but yeah, the calls route to them and they take the, the phone sales, close the sale. And uh, that's what the operations team executes on. 
And of course, a couple back office people, like someone who runs the charges for customers and accounting, someone who helps with the marketing as well, who's um, also working remotely in Nicaragua. So uh, quite a few different people, but everyone's remote. So we're actually spread across eight different countries at the moment. That's a pretty big um, kind of time zone difference between LA, Latin America, and and South Africa. Can Mm -hmm. you maybe talk through some of the ways that you're able to kind of build a really strong company culture and make sure everything is, you know, collaborative and running smoothly when you do have, let's say, like, you know, nine-hour time zone differences? Yeah, we just require working Los Angeles standard time. doesn't matter what what time zone you're in. You're working 8 to 4 p.m. every single day, Pacific standard time. So in South Africa, it's nine hours ahead. They're typically working in the evening time. Or let's say Nicaragua, Central America, they're only a couple hours ahead. So they just start work at 10 instead of eight. But everyone works on the t- the same time zone, which makes it easier to actually connect with people. Got it. When it comes to like hiring, those are how did you figure out where you wanted to hire or did it just kind of happen organically when you were trying to build your team? Yeah, it happened organically. Um, I wish I could say it was very strategic by saying, hey, we're going to go recruit in South Africa. But I think what happens is you get one qualified candidate and it kind of opens up a world of possibilities in that country. And you realize, oh, there's a lot of good candidates over here. For example, we randomly found someone in Honduras. And we realized uh, after that, that, hey, a lot of call centers, American call centers are based in Honduras, meaning a lot of these people come trained already. Uh, they know how to speak English well. They know how to handle a call center situation. They're used to working remotely. Um, but we wouldn't have known that if we didn't hire that first person in Honduras. So now, you know, if we see someone from Honduras, we have a sense of saying, okay, they probably are coming from the call center industry and kind of know what's happening already. Same with South Africa. I had no idea that South Africa would be great for sales, but um, think about it. A lot of them have really, really cool accents. Americans love it. So it ended up just working out naturally just by the virtue of having to find someone over there. I, I'd say there's not too many places in the world that are like the Philippines, where a lot of people literally search out people from the Philippines for VA talent because they have such a reputation of that. And most of the time, it kind of ends up happening more organic. Uh, at least from what I've seen. Absolutely. Can you maybe speak to a little bit about just how you figure out who to hire um, and like, you know, what what you, what you your hiring process actually looks like? Yeah, sure. So um, first we'll recruit people online through a variety of different ways. Typically it's going to be like Dynamite Jobs. We'll do Upwork. We'll do WeWork remotely. Post a nice fun job ad. They always have to post, um, send us a video or audio recording, always. So they do that, and they actually also have to put in a secret word. So a secret phrase in the cover letter, which might be, my favorite movie is blank, or pineapple on pizza is weird, or something we tell them to write to make sure they know how to follow instructions. So that's step one. If people have done that and they qualify, we first hop on a call with them on WhatsApp. Why WhatsApp? Because everyone in the world has WhatsApp for the most part. So it's much easier to connect with them as opposed to trying to get them on Zoom or Google Meet or something like that. So we do a first audio call on WhatsApp. The next round after that is someone else on the team would speak with them via a video call uh, and assess them, typically another 15 minutes. And then that person would report back to the manager who'd be managing them how the call went. And then the manager would make the final decision or hop on another interview call with that individual to come to a final decision on whether to hire the person or not. Absolutely. That's a pretty thorough process. Can you maybe walk through what you guys are looking for within those calls and, you know, things that, you know, make somebody a really good fit for made this? Um, versus things that maybe are like, you know, red flags? Yeah, great question. I think especially with the remote team members, it's always about cultural fit more than anything, more than skill set or anything like that. You kind of want them to fit the vibe of your company. And I'd say in remote 
team culture, culture is kind of finicky, right? Because you don't see the people. Um, the tone is unknown because you're many times communicating in Slack. So you really need to know that the people are the same type of culture as the other people in the company, right? So I know it sounds a little bit fluffy, but the values of the company are really, really big. And if you send someone's not a fit, that could easily ruin the culture. And remote team culture is kind of finicky, right? You need to keep it strong because it can break rather quickly because there's so many miscommunications with only text and not in person. So a lot of what we're evaluating is, hey, is this person have the right fit? Are they a team player? Um, do they fit the core values of the company? And honestly, skill sets kind of last. We just need them to be smart enough to be able to do the job. And it's not rocket science. So most people are smart enough to do it and sharp enough to keep up. Uh, but yeah, the actual skill set is kind of last and we're just evaluating most off, most based off of, do we think they're hardworking enough and if they're going to be a good fit with the other team? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm guessing you're really looking for like attitude and um, like, are they actually going to fit in with everyone else on the team much more so than, you know, like a very specific technical skill? Yeah, yeah, exactly right. And Jessica, I'm curious from what you have seen for remote teams as well. Um, I'm like, do you recommend for remote teams you put them through like online tests or quizzes to assess how they're doing? What have you seen work with other people? Um, I've definitely like not an expert, but from all the conversations I've had, I've seen it go all kinds of different ways. I mean, I think like I know that there are some teams that try to do like personality tests, like using things like this that can get a little weird if it's mm -hmm. not presented exactly in the right way. Um, but I definitely think, you know, multiple rounds of interviews is pretty much right now, like the gold standard to make sure that, you know, someone's going to come in often with the right attitude first, the right, yeah. like, you know, they're going to jam with the team well and also have the skills they need to be able to do their job well. Yeah. Well said. I agree. Kind of going back to how your team is structured, are there things that you or your operations manager have kind of put into place to like really make sure that, you know, your team is collaborative and has a good culture? Um, you know, a lot of it is um, we've realized kind of comes from the top down in terms of building company culture by remote team members. Meaning if the CEO or the managers are, in a, let's say, ran, we have a random channel in Slack, which you could talk about, whatever. If they're in there talking, goofing off, being friendly, talking with people, putting emojis, everyone else is going to be doing the same, right? They look up to see what the managers are doing as cues for what company culture should be like. So I think it's really up to the managers to set the tone, especially in Slack. So what we have is a random channel. Everyone checks in at the beginning of the day, says hello, add in any notes, post funny pictures if you like, share whatever whatever with the team. I've noticed there is a direct correlation of if the managers do that and if the team members feel comfortable doing that as well. So just setting the tone in a Slack channel, if that's where you're mostly communicating, I think is really, really key just to setting the tone of the culture. And the other end would be, um, that that's the carrot, right? The carrot and the stick. The stick would be if we see someone who is, let's say, publicly reprimanding someone else on the team, which is a big no, right? You, you always do that in private if you, if you have to do it. Uh, the manager would bring that person to attention and saying, hey, you can't do this publicly. If you want to talk to them, let's arrange a meeting, but we're not doing this publicly at all. So also making sure that the police and uh, anything which is a violation of a value would call the person out and make sure things stay in line. Absolutely. Um, is there anything in particular that you've done that um, you think has worked extremely well? Ooh, good question. Um, you know, something we instituted like um, about a year ago 
which has worked really, really well a couple years ago, has been cross-training across departments. And with remote teams, um, there's already an issue with miscommunications, even on the same department, because you can't hear the tone of the person or see what work they're doing. You don't know if they're actually working. There's just potential for a lot of miscommunications. Now, if you have multiple departments working with each other, and there's that level of miscommunication on top of that because you can't see the person, there's a lot of room for just tensions to rise because you don't know what the person's saying and things are miscommunicated, right? So what we found works really well is let's say you have someone on operations, go shadow sales for two days in the week, right? They flip positions with someone in sales and see what they're doing and learn what they're doing. The reason is because then they could execute their job better because they know what the other department is doing as well. It also allows for more camaraderie because that person has joined the sales team for, let's say, two days or three days, whatever it is, and work with them. It lets the sales team know that person and that person know the sales team as well. And even if that person goes back to operations, they know the team members much better and know the type of work they're doing. So cross-training across departments has been actually really, really key just to make sure everyone maintains friendly rapport with each other. Yeah, that's such a great um, idea. I know one of the biggest critiques of cross-training is you wind up with um, potentially like, you know, gaps where, you know, if you have a whole bunch of people in operations who are, who are you know, training in sales for a couple of days or, you know, sales training with support, um, that it could end up, you know, creating gaps in service. How do you mitigate that? Like, is it just something that people do when they're like, you know, onboarding onto a team as a new employee, or do you have like, you know, set structures where one day every month or like, you know, one week a month, you have people kind of shadow a different department? Like, what does that look like? Yeah, great question. Yeah, it's a little bit of both. So when someone comes on, they need to go shadow every single department just to make sure they're queued in. After that, I wish we had a little bit more structure, like once a month or something like that. But it's more about like uh, when things are not busy season. Right. If we're in the height of busy season, we probably wouldn't pull this. Um, but if there's some downtime, we decide, hey, it's a good time to cross train as a management team. We'll send someone across and think about it as an expense or a cost or an investment, I guess, is better. You probably need to bring someone on, let's say, in operations to cover that person while they go cross chain with sales. And you have to pay that person for a couple of days of work. Right. So think about it as an investment. Um, maybe you're not going to have, you know, you, you'll lose, I guess, some money, quote unquote, lose some money by having to pay someone else to cover this person. But longer term, builds a better company culture, builds better retention, and saves you money in longer term. So that's typically how we handle it. That's a really smart way of framing it as like an investment and making sure your team is running smoothly six months from now, a year from now, and without having any uh, a misalignment or fewer yeah. fewer misalignments. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. It's key. And that the part of that is what we talked about with company culture. If you keep everyone happy, they stay longer, helps make you more money in the long term as well. So it makes a lot of sense. Can you maybe speak a little bit to like the tech stack that you're using to kind of manage uh, your remote first team? And has anything kind of evolved since you've also entered into the franchising model as well? Yeah, sure. So um Slack is the hub of all communication. Everyone logs in there in the morning, checks in with each other. Tons of automation to go through there. That's probably the tool we use the most. We have our normal CRMs and stuff that we used to actually run the business, but I think what you're asking is more about the remote team. We use G Suite, or I guess they rebranded it to Google Workplaces. I'm not really sure. Um, so we do a lot of Google Meets with the team whenever they need. And there's a, a proper meeting structure for each department. So they'll have their normal department level 10 meeting, as we call it, every single week. And they usually have morning huddles as well per team. So they all get to meet each other constantly via video call, 
So we always try to do video call at least once a day with the teams. And of course, Slack is the main central communication point for all the teams where everyone talks with each other. Absolutely. Um, and knowing what you know now, when you first founded Made This, what's one piece of advice you would tell yourself? Ooh, good question. Um, I would probably say, um, especially with remote team members, um, hire them full-time if you could afford it. Uh, what I mean by that is the beginning, if you hire someone part-time, you're really getting part-time of their attention. And maybe you don't want to spend the money up front to hire someone full-time remotely. Uh, but I think there's much bigger benefits to having someone on full-time and ensuring they have enough work to do and ensuring that you know they could grow into the role as opposed to having them part-time and maybe looking for another job elsewhere. I think there's just better yields when someone's full-time and um, having them on salary, right? Keeps things really clean. At the beginning, what I do is saying, hey, we only need someone 15 hours a week. I'm going to pay you X amount of hours here. Oh, we need someone else for this role. That's only 28 hours a week. And it just becomes kind of messy. Uh, I've converted everyone to monthly salary full-time uh, only. That's the only options that are available in the company now. And it just keeps things much cleaner, much easier. And I know that they're working the whole time, right? Because they check in and check out. I don't have to monitor hours. I don't have them have to have them uh, clock in and clock out in terms of timing. So I can log how many hours to pay them. Everything is just salary and clean. So that's something that's just made life a lot simpler for me and easier. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, before we wrap up, I always like to ask a handful of lightning round questions. Let's hit it. Um, if you had to write a book tomorrow, what would you write it about? <laughs> what a good question. Um, I'd probably write it about, um, I'd probably write it about travel experiences and why you should be doing them more, more unique experiences as opposed to just going somewhere and working. I found that uh, for the last few years of travel, I've worked a lot in different places, but I think only recently I've started to dive into more of the culture of company or of countries I go to having unique experiences. And I think that's just the joy of travel, which is oftentimes missed by digital nomads. So I think it'd be something around inspiring people to do things like that. And now I'm just going to do a quick follow-up question, which is, I know you've basically been building the business as a digital nomad. Are there things that you, besides it's like finding and having these unique experiences, are there things that, you know, basically you were able to use as like a competitive advantage, given the fact that you were traveling around that others might even uh, see as a disadvantage? Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, I number one is recruiting operations talent from around the world, meaning you're never in the scarcity of like, hey, I don't have enough talent around me for operations. Where am I going to find them? Never the case. There's always people around the world who are very qualified, who will work cheaper as well for a U.S.-based company. So saving a lot of money in that way, and I, you know, you do lose some things by not having someone in the office. I think that's fair. I do think the pros outweigh the cons, and you can find really, really good talent for an affordable price. Um, abroad as well and kind of create that culture. And part of it is really cool. Like a benefit would be going out to visit your team, right? I visited my South Africa team twice. I just saw them this last weekend. Uh, it's just a group of people I never would have normally seen or normally interacted with, but because I found them and they're part of my team, now I have a relationship with them. And how cool is that? So I think that's a understated benefit as well. Absolutely. Um, have you seen like, and now I'm going to say like a follow-up question to that as well, which is, when you are hiring, like, you know, have you seen it get a lot of other teams I've spoken to have said that trying, and even myself, I've experienced this as well, hiring, you know, since the pandemic has gotten a lot harder. 
because now there's a lot more people who can work remotely. Have you experienced that at all? Or have you been able to just kind of, you know, still be able to hire as you were pre-pandemic? Um, honestly, I've been able to hire previously as before pandemic. I have a feeling it has to do a lot with the job role that you're recruiting for. Someone's recruiting for remote developers, probably really hard to recruit for them, right? Um, but we're recruiting for operations and sales staff um, internationally for what we're doing for a local cleaning company. It's not rocket science, right? You know, if someone's well-qualified, if it's a company cultures, they could actually do it. So I do think it's a little bit different just depending on who you're recruiting for and what level of talent you're recruiting for. For us, luckily, at least for what we're recruiting for, I think there's a lot of talent out there who could fulfill it. Um, so it hasn't really been tough for us, but I, I can understand that maybe if it's more of a scarce resource and now big companies are gobbling up that remote talent, it could be tough for some. That makes a ton of sense. Um, and if you could have coffee with any historical figure, who would you choose and why? <laughs> um, <laughs> in odd way, I'd probably like I'd probably do like Genghis Khan or Hitler and just ask them like, why? What was going on in your head? Let's discuss this and just see what they say. So one of these tyrants in history would be kind of cool just to pick their brain on. Yeah, interesting. Um, and it's been great chatting with you, Neil. Where can listeners find you online? Yeah, yeah. Thanks for having me, Jessica. Uh, if you guys want to connect with me, you can go to my website, neilparek.com. You can also go to madethisfranchise.com. That's M-A-I-D-T-H-I-S franchise.com. And quick plug, if you or someone you know might be a good fit for franchising, I'll please send them my way. Would love to have them join the team. Awesome. Well, thank you again. Cool. Thanks, Jessica. Thank you for listening to the Remote Work Drive podcast. Please visit our site, theremoteworkdrive.com, to learn more about remote work trends and insights.